Hey, strangers, welcome to another episode of The Strange Sessions. As always, I am Kurt, and my co-host today, Krista, is long distance again because we were not able to get together today because of the stupid weather. It's not really doing anything here yet, but it's starting well, It will. It's starting to <laughs> snow. Yeah. And the thing is, like... They 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 keep changing it around. I saw three to seven inches and two to six inches, but the thing is, like, they're talking forty mile an hour winds, and the combination of the snow and my boxy car in the highway with the winds just was not a good idea. Yeah. So we decided we do Skype again, which we don't like quite as much because we are not able to open our packages, we're not able to do taste tests, but at least it's something. Yeah, exactly. And actually, it's snowing considerably heavier now since we've been talking, and it's accumulating. So See, and it's, it was a good call. It, it hasn't started call. here snowing heavier yet, but I think it's moving up from the south. Yes, it is. But, yeah, I think it was a good call, too. But, God, I'm hoping we can get together this season sometime to, I know, right? <laughs> to record an episode. <laughs> Have but we only it, gone together once? Yeah. No. I think so. Was it just the season opener? I think so, yeah. Dang. And I, I drove know. down there in the snow for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, something's against us. Well, maybe maybe it's what's in this episode. Yeah. Uh, hey, I just want hey, I, I want to mention really quickly, though, if you're just tuning in for the first time and you don't want to sit through the chit chat at the beginning, just pause and check the show notes and Kurt will have posted the timestamp of the topic start. Yes, he will. Uh, it's probably a, a good thing that we are not doing package opening and taste tests because I have a feeling this might be a really long episode. It, okay. it I might be wrong, but I have a feeling it's going to be super long. And the thing is, I could have cut some of this out, but I didn't really want to because I'm really interested in this story. Whether it's legit or not, uh, I know you're going to have opinions on it. But <laughs> okay, I don't even uh, know what it is. No, you have no idea what it is. But I did a pretty big deep dive into this. I am now a member of a Facebook community about it, a Reddit community okay. about it. So I am pretty invested in this story. Uh, shout outs. We had no new members of the strangers since the last episode. Oh. So, yep, we're going to pack it up. We're done. I mean, we 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 did our best. Uh, I do want to give shout outs to two of my students, though, and that is Kelsey and Brenna, who listen to the podcast. So Kelsey and Brenna, love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to have more of my students listening than actual listeners pretty yeah, soon, I think. Right. Uh, hey, they're actual listeners. Oh, they are. But I mean, like <laughs> members of the strangers and stuff. Yeah. Yep. I have a cough drop in in case anybody wonders what that rattling is because last time my throat hurt. And today today is seriously, I am going to be doing a lot of talking. So, Krista, yeah. it is your job to butt in as often as oh. possible and tell me what you think. Permission to interrupt. Permission to interrupt. Definitely permission <laughs> to interrupt. I don't want anyone to get mad at me for interrupting. No, you get some nasty emails. <laughs> but, yeah, we have no taste test. But I am here drinking. I actually took my... Uh, picture for you know you and I always do our oh, picture yeah. I actually yep. took it already I am drinking and I have not had one of these in years a jolly good soda jolly good root oh, beer wow. 
Yeah. Isn't that right up? We, that's made in Wisconsin. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. That's like a huge Wisconsin thing, but it was gone yeah. for a long time and then it came back. And they always talk about it on the, is it the cabin? Yeah. Yep. The, the cabin. Wisconsin podcast. Yep. Yeah. Cause Jolly Good Soda is like a huge Wisconsin thing. So I picked up Jolly Good Root Beer. Uh, I don't think they still have the jokes at the bottom because they used to be famous for having jokes at the bottom of the cans that you would have to look into the can. But that's my taste test. And I already started it and it's good. (laughs) It's root beer. You can't go wrong with root beer. No, it's like one of the only sodas I actually like is root beer. And birch beer. Birch beer is a lot like root beer, but birch beer is really good. You never had birch beer? I don't think so. Oh, God. There's a... Uh, Amish store near here where I get birch beer. I'll have to pick some up for our next taste test for when we're together, if we're ever together again. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then it'll be torrential downpours. I won't be able to right. make it. Power will go out. <laughs> Do we have anything else to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. Um, yeah, we're we're going to also be recording today the book club episode for the lost causes of bleak creek so and the side and a, sessions yeah and the side sessions can be a long morning but hey i'm yeah. excited uh this episode is going to be the first time that i am putting links in the show notes to stuff okay. that i reference and talk about nice. but a majority of this came from a book and uh you can't really get it anymore because it used to be um i think astonishing legends did a two-part episode about this and when they did it you were able to download the pdf of the book off the internet archive but it is no longer available because they the author just updated it to a second edition with new information so now it's on amazon i am gonna buy it at some point but i was going through the pdf that i i downloaded years ago when i was on a mad binge of downloading paranormal book pdfs so I don't have the actual book, but I am going to buy it because I want to see what the updates are. You don't, you have no idea what I'm even talking about, do, no, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about a fascinating case called the Dodelston Messages. Any any idea? No, it doesn't even ring a bell. It's very John Teeter-esque. Okay. But oh, this, you did mention that. That's yeah. one that you gave me. It didn't yeah. help, though. No, this one... <laughs> I had no idea. This one is crazy. And I don't know if I have changed my opinion about its authenticity, but we'll talk about that more at the end. But basically, this took place over 18 months in 1985 and 1986. So I'm getting a lot of this beginning part off of a a blog called Mercurius Politicus. Okay. But again, this is mostly from a book called The Vertical Plane by Ken Webster. And again, you can't, I don't think you can find it anymore as a PDF. I think you have to buy it on Amazon. But he wrote this book back in the 80s after all this happened. So... Are you ready for are you ready for I'm this ready. ready for this craziness? I am. In the autumn of 1984 in the village of Dodleston in Cheshire, England, Ken Webster was renovating a dilapidated 18th century brick cottage that he had recently moved into. Webster was an economics teacher at a local school and he lived with his girlfriend Debbie who was 19 years old and another friend named Nick, it was a female, Nic- Nicola. 
Uh, And she was kind of their long-term guest for a little while at the start of this story, but then she kind of disappears a little bit into it. Ken Webster, we believe, is a pseudonym. We don't think that's his real name, but we're not exactly sure. Debbie, his girlfriend, is still active in the Facebook groups and the Reddit groups. So this is, yeah, this is back in 1984. It's in the northwest of England, which I would love to visit. I've only been to London. I haven't been outside London, but I would love to see the rest of England. So not long after they moved into the cottage, weird stuff began to happen. One morning, they woke up and discovered what appeared to be footprints with six toes that walked up the wall between the bathroom and the kitchen. They guessed it was a prank by one of their friends or one of the housemates, but renovating the cottage seems to have kicked up some unusual activity. So Nick took a paintbrush and painted over the footprints, only to discover that the footprints showed up again the next day. So you got some weirdness right there. Yeah. Over the next few days, there were other odd happenings, like strange cold gusts of wind in the cottage, chalk marks that would appear, shadows that seemed to move throughout the cottage, the feeling like they were being watched, strange footsteps, weird track marks across the floor, and finding all of their cans of cat food stacked up into a pyramid. Hmm. So Nicola wanted to be in show business, and she wanted to write comedy sketches. So Ken borrowed a BBC computer from his school and brought it to the cottage so that Nick could use the word processor. And this is this is a big 80s, mid-80s boxy computer that the, the monitor and everything is on it. It is not like a laptop. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a big, <laughs> big 80s style computer. And they had them available for them to use at the school, so he checked one out and brought it home. So the as if the poltergeist stuff wasn't weird enough, here's where the, the real weirdness started. So after he brought it home, they accidentally left the computer turned on in the kitchen one day while they were out, and then when they returned, they found a message typed onto the screen. The message read, quote, True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. And that's what, that's, it only gets weirder from here. It only gets weirder from oh. here. So they went out, came back home, and this weird poem was on their computer. So Ken blamed Nick or his girlfriend Debbie for leaving the message, but they swore they didn't. And it's important to remember that this was like 1985. There wasn't an internet. I mean, if there was an internet, it was basically just uh, like the military. And okay. you know, maybe some bigger colleges had access to it, but this this cottage in the middle of nowhere, England, did not have access to the internet. This was long. And that's a kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around if you're a younger person and doesn't remember when there wasn't the internet. Mm -hmm. But but this was just a boxy computer, and they were only basically using it for the word processor on it. So it was sitting on their, their kitchen counter, came home, and this weird poem was on there. He blamed them. They said, we didn't do this. From what I read, they were very... Like their lifestyle was very open where people would just like wander into their cottage, hang out with them and then leave like their friends, you know. Mm-hmm. So they thought maybe it was one of their friends that just came in and left the message. 
So they decided to leave the computer on, and then a few days later, another message appeared. This one said, okay, and this is in Old English. It is written in Old English. When I was in college, I took a class on Chaucer, where we had to read the Canterbury Tales in Old English, which was kind of difficult, but, you know, I did it. So this was written in Old English. It says, quote, I write on behalf of many. What strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes me think alterations are somewhat barful, for they break many asleep in mine bed. Thou art a goodly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in my home. I hath no want to affray, for only sith mine hath witted antic has ripped a twain mine bound hath I been rest a night." It's hard to decipher, but the rest of the ones that I'll be reading today, I'll kind of do in English. I mean, it I, sounds like it's someone, well, who's still dwelling there. Yep. And yep. watching the people. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then he continues, I hath seen many alterations, lastly charge house and thou home. Tis a fitting place with lights which the devil maketh and costly things that only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford or the king himself. "'Twas a great crime to hath bribed mine house." And he signed it, L.W. Okay. So basically, somebody's typing on there, "'Hey, I see you guys are living in my home. You have a fanciful woman.'" Uh, he says it was You're a great... weird upgrades. It, like it was a great crime to have, have stolen my house from me, and you have these devilish lights and costly things that only my rich friend could afford. So, and he signed it, L.W. So they're like, what? Like, they had no idea what was going on. So basically, this mysterious LW is saying that Ken, Deborah, and Nick basically stole his house and are living in it with their devilish lights and expensive things. And they had so many questions, like, who wrote this? Who was LW? Who was Edmund Gray? And why did the writer of the messages assume someone had stolen his house? So Peter Trinder, a fellow teacher and a friend of Webster's, had a closer look at the message and deduced it to be Middle English from the 16th century. And if you've ever read Chaucer, you'd recognize the style. Trinder believed that whoever they were communicating with, that person spoke with the same grammatical inflection, like they spoke Middle English. Peter Trinder comes in a lot in this story, his friend. So they didn't know what to do, so they decided on the same computer file they were just going to ask. So they wrote a bit about themselves, and they asked about LW. They asked about what their life was like, about Edmund Gray, and about how they contacted them and what they should do next. A day passed, and then the next day, a reply had been sent back. The reply said, My goodly friend, I must need say, how is it that there are so many things of which I have no knowledge? It seems to me that if you cannot say why you are in my house, then I can no more help you than if my wits had gone. I have no kinfolk I can tell you about. My wife was taken with the pestilence, and the Lord did take her soul and her unborn son in 1517. My farm, it is humble, but it has a pretty parcel of land. It has redstone footings and clean rushes on the beaten floor. This season I have much to do. I have to sow my barley early for my ale. It is this that is my craft in which I am best at, I fancy. Also, I have to go to Nantwich to see my known friend Richard Wishall, whose farm is so great as to allow him a four-year rotation of fallow. 
I do so envy him. He has much there, but nothing that delights me more than his cheese. It cannot be equaled by any other for pleasantness of taste and wholesomeness of digestion. I shall also call it Nantwich Market. It is not so great as Chester Market by the cross, but it is of some interest. So he's just chatting. He's just chatting away with this guy like he's writing him an email. (laughs) I shall need to go to Chester this season to get my shoes. My goodly friend Thomas Aldersay, a tailor by craft, makes them sometimes. I also make shoes, but none of my swine are ready. It is far too costly unless I need kill one. Do you know the country of Chester? The Watergate is a place that brings many traders. It is a shame the port does shrink. I can remember great ships. Now they get smaller by each tide, but Chester Port is still greater than that of Liverpool. I am often to the east wall of Chester, Cow Lane. It is not so tiresome there by the cross. That is when my fowl or swine do not trip up my poor body. I hear tell that you are a teacher. Do you still earn the great sum of twenty pounds per year? I remember my unpleasant dean, Henry Mann, who is likened to a fish. (laughs) And he said, if any boy shall appear naturally averse to learning after fair trial, he shall be expelled elsewhere, lest like a drone he should devour the bee's honey. Nay, I cannot make merry on holy day for fear of my life. My friend was once a fluting on a holy day and did have his ears pinned to the woodblock. I think that when you say Doddleston, you mean Duddleston. My queen, of course, is Catherine Parr. And then he signs it Lucas. So now we know. Right, we got a name. Yeah, now we know it's Lucas. So the time of Henry VIII's marriage to Catherine Parr was at some point between 1543 and 1547. So apparently this Lucas guy is living in the 1540s, but he's somehow writing to them on their computer. Mm-hmm. So then Lucas writes back, he says, my good friend, can you tell me for what reason you are asking many questions which I cannot understand? I am confused. The writing machine is a wonderful thing, somewhat unnatural, I fancy, unknown to myself it may be, but I have seen you make lights on the box and am cunning. Yes, I know of Bristol. My kinfolk did come from Bridgewater and Taunton by the river until they died. To make merry, I like to be at the ale. Yes, sometimes I used a bridge at Aldford. Your merrymaking pleases me, but it is rather noisy at times. Would you tell your woman to play more of the flute thing? Tis a pleasant sound, I think. How do you travel to your school? I must hurry as my dogs are loose and are being troublesome to my fowl. And now he signs it Lucas Wayneman. So now we know his name, Lucas Wayneman. And you're going to hear this term come up a few times, but he refers to his box of lights as a, quote, Leems Boist, L-E-E-M-S-B-O-Y-S-T-E, which is like my new favorite term. And it's apparently like Latin for box of lights, but he refers to it as this Leems Boist. So now Ken is starting to think that this is all a hoax. Because some of the geographical stuff Lucas is saying doesn't make sense, and some of the punctuation being used seems too modern. So he accuses Lucas of being one of his friends and asks what he's up to. Lucas replies, quote, My most noble friend, have I not been friendly towards you? And yet, unless I am mistaken, I think there is not enough trust. Despite this, I have been open with you. I know not whence you came, nor whither you will go, nor do I have an answer for why you are in my house, but you are a goodly visitor, and you may stay as long as you like. My pleasant fool, my servant, thinks that you are all in my head. He says I act like a seer, but I know you live now. He also says that my blood is poisoned and that it is my weak-hinged imagination, but I am not mad, I think, and I told him so. I also said it's like fairy gold, that he should keep it secret until I write a book. 
I fish for herrings and salmon in the Dee and sometimes in Flooker's Brook. Tell the friend John with whom you spoke that I know much about fishing. I think you are jesting when you talk about the horseless cart tiger. It is good that we can be carefree and joke like this. And then he signs it, Lucas. Hmm. So the horseless cart tiger refers to Ken's Jaguar XJ Coupe that he told Lucas about. And Lucas like can't wrap his head around a vehicle that doesn't have horses pulling it. Right. So he and because it's a Jaguar, he calls it his horseless cart tiger. <laughs> so Ken decides to take a picture out of a magazine and he puts it up near the computer. And the next day he got the reply, quote, my good friend, I have found your picture of the cart, but it is a crude thing for without the horse, it won't go far. Tell me what unknown wood this is. It is like silk. I cannot describe it better. So that's him talking about the magazine paper. Like he couldn't, like Lucas couldn't wrap his mind around what kind of texture the magazine paper was because they didn't have that back then. Right. So then when Lucas went back to look at the photo of the car, the photo was now charred around the edges. So that's kind of weird. You know, this is almost right, like yeah. back, this is like Back to the Future stuff, yeah. where <laughs> yeah. where Lucas apparently took the photo to look at it and returned it charred around the edges. So <laughs> this is like I said, this is a weird, a weird, weird story. Yeah. And there's a lot more to go. So when this last message came, Debbie was asleep upstairs and nobody could have gotten into the house to type it without Ken noticing that somebody was coming into the house. So while all this is going on, the poltergeist activity is still continuing. Stuff is constantly moving around. They hear footsteps on their roof and all sorts of weird things. So the poltergeist activity is going on and then they're communicating with this Lucas on the computer that's apparently living in the 1540s. So Lucas writes back about how he was about how he's going to school at a place named Jesus College, Oxford, and then he also passes along a recipe for pork, meatballs, and peas. So it, it, it's weird. It's like a time and space continuum Pinterest where he's just like sharing his recipes. So that, so then he also asks for more information about the world that Ken lives in. So Ken's friend Peter, that he teaches with looks into this and discovers that Jesus College Oxford was founded in 1571, which is way too late for Lucas's time. And more names and locations have been misspelled. So they're still thinking that this is like a hoax and that there's something weird going on here. So they decide not to confront Lucas about the error about the school. And Ken and Deb do some more tests to see if the messages will keep showing up when the kitchen door is locked, and apparently they do. So then Ken writes to Lucas, he writes, quote, In your time, you used the strength of horses to till the fields, the power of the wind to move the sails of ships, and the moving water to turn the mill wheel. We have many new powers, none of them made by the devil. All are made by man. The lights are wondrous, but the power is not a flame, but something called electricity. If you see strange strands joined to the computer that carries this electricity— the electricity is made many miles away, and it's brought by strands or wires carefully wrapped to keep the power safe, for it can kill if it's interfered with by fools. Mm -hmm. So then Lucas writes back and says, My friend, pray, what strange demon are you? I am so confused. You are goodly, I feel, but your lies frighten me much. You said you are alive, but this is not so. I have no wish to accuse you, but you said also that you are an educated man. 
and that you know of my friend Erasmus, which was a famous philosopher, but yet you do not mention my misspelled words. If you were alive, you would say that you know not of Jesus' college. You also spoke of a power which I have no knowledge. Where does this power come from, and what did you study in your place of learning? Where is it? Because if you do not explain this to me, then I must make an end to my words with you. This would cause me much despair. It is not that I make you afraid. It is you that makes me afraid. And then he signs it, Lucas. So it turns out that the lie about the school and the geographical errors were a test by Lucas to see if he could trust Ken, knowing that if Ken is in the future, he's going to know that this Jesus College Oxford does not exist. Are you with me so far? I, yeah, I think it's just funny that they're arguing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, what would you do if you were living in the 1540s and you had a box of lights and you could communicate with somebody from the from 1985? They wouldn't have had typewriters, so how did he even know how to communicate using that? You'll, you'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Ooh, that that shows up later. So then they keep looking into this with their friend Peter to figure out if all this is a hoax. So in his book, The Vertical Plane, Ken says, quote, And if it was, after all, a hoax, Peter said that he would shake the fellow's hand, scholar meeting scholar. I could hardly agree less. I thought that a smack in the face with a baseball bat was a more appropriate response. So, like, Ken's kind of annoyed about the whole thing because he does, Ken thinks it's a hoax. Peter says if it is a hoax, it's a really good one, so I kind of want to meet the person, and Ken just wants to smack the hoaxer in the face with a baseball bat. <laughs> so at this point, their friend Peter started looking into having the Society for Psychical Research, or SPR, come to the cottage and do an investigation. And I've had weird synchronicities lately with the SPR. It's like showing up all the time when I'm reading books, when I'm doing stuff. And I had never heard about it a lot before, so that's kind of a weird synchronicity. Mm -hmm. But it's still around in England. The Society for Psychical Research is like their main paranormal research group. And there's an American Society for Psychical Research, too. So Peter starts looking into having them come there to do an investigation. So now Lucas writes this time, but he writes to Deb. He writes, quote, My goodly woman, you are well-schooled, I think, for a woman, but rather a tomboy in some way. I do not wish to be offensive to yourself, for you are a most perfect partner that would satisfy any man, but you must know your place and serve my friend well. Next, you will say you have a cart tiger or can travel on some unnatural bird. Please ask your man if I can have words with the man you call Peter, for I may speak with him in my own language. It is difficult for me to read the words you write. Then we can have more understanding of one another and our times. So Ken finds out about this, and he's kind of mad because he wants to be the sole communicator. But Lucas is writing to, to Deb, so I don't know if Lucas has a little thing for Deb. But he asks Deb to have Peter contact him because Peter understands Old English better. Hmm. Okay, I'm getting more and more skeptical. As this <laughs> oh God, wait! You're, wait, it's gonna get it's gonna get even worse. Uh, so Ken got kind of annoyed because, oh yeah, you have no idea what's coming up. Ken got kind of annoyed because he wanted to be the communicator. So he put a postcard picture of Erasmus by the computer, which then disappeared. After which Lucas said that he got the photo and he was going to add it to his book. Then, one night when Debbie was sleeping, she woke up and she said that she saw a glimpse of Lucas in the kitchen, but she didn't know if she was dreaming or not. 
So the messages keep coming, and they start to realize that when they are there, the messages don't come. But if they are not watching the screen, the messages show up. So they figure if it's a hoax, it's got to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And then one of the messages that shows up is apparently a love poem, and they wonder if it's to Deb. Like maybe Lucas also saw her when she saw him that night that she thought she was dreaming. So things are getting kind of steamy between Lucas and Debbie, I guess. <laughs> Then Lucas says one of his friends is coming by to look at the computer. So Ken and Deb return to find gibberish written on the screen like someone who was unfamiliar with a typewriter is trying to use it. You know, so this person is there with Lucas and he's trying to figure out what's going on. So it's just all gibberish on the screen. But then the friend finally writes and he says, quote, My good man, I have heard of your griffins, lions, and wondrous possessions, and it is too fantastic to understand And your people are unnatural, though I have no dread. You are a phantasm of great powers. It is my theory that you are in the future, so you can tell when the king ends his reign and who is to take the crown. How do you cure the people of your time? Is the computer yours, pray? The fashion of our time is such that I will not give my own name, nor Lucas's true name. I beg you forgive me for the delay, for I was thrown from my horse from Stockport in my hurry." So now we know Lucas isn't actually Lucas's real name. You with me? Yes, <laughs> okay. sort of. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then Ken and Deb hear from the SPR, who said that they would send an investigator down if Ken and Deb could eliminate any possibilities of a hoax. You know, plus the SPR suggested that maybe one of them or both of them were possibly doing this unconsciously with their mind, that they were creating the poltergeist activity and the computer personality. Okay. But the SPR said the only way we're coming down there is if you do something to eliminate any possibility of it being a hoax. Yeah. So then the next message shows up again from the friend of Lucas, and it says, quote, You are a foolish scoundrel who has brought nothing less than evil upon the wretch. I hope he comes to no harm, for I guarantee your death by my own hand some way. It was not to be avoided with your charm of lights, and now Lucas sits in the shameful dungeon. So now Lucas got thrown in the dungeon because they discovered his box of lights. And the friend continues, It will be your own ruin. Unless you help Lucas, he will die. If you reveal yourselves to the crown for what you are and display your devilish powers, then his life is saved. Reveal the truth and give no false threats and explain what is necessary, computer. And he signs it, friend. So now poor Lucas has been thrown in the dungeon for heresy because of their communications. You're, yeah. not, you're not buying this whole story, are you? No, not really. <laughs> Just wait. So then more messages transpire, and then apparently Lucas is let out of the dungeon, but he's under house arrest or cottage arrest or whatever, whatever arrest. So he has to sit there in his cottage until the sheriff there or whatever it is figures out what is going on. So that's the situation so far. Lucas has been arrested, but now he's he's back under house arrest and he's there with the computer. And the sheriff is coming to figure out what is up with his box of lights or his lean voiced. Okay. So are you with me? Uh, Yep, I'm with you. Are you ready for a major plot twist? Oh, great, yes. Oh yeah, there's a plot twist. So now Lucas ends one of his new messages by saying, quote, You said your time is 1985. I thought you were also from 2109, like your friend who brought the box of lights. Oh, what? Yep. So Ken and Deb are like, what? They're like, what or who or what is 2109? 
So they talked about it for a bit, and then they decided to try something. They opened up the word processor, and they typed the words, calling 2109 on the computer, and they left it on and went to bed. The next day when they woke up, this appeared on the screen. Quote, Ken, Deb, Peter, we are sorry that we can only give you two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have instant understanding, but cause what should not be to happen, or two, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he or it is. So now they're like, they're like, what? So then they get a message from Lucas about Lucas having to go before the court for witchcraft or whatever. He says that he's sad that he never got to write his book. So then after this, they don't hear from Lucas for a little while. So they believe him to be dead, killed by the court. They ask 2109 for help. 2109 writes, quote, first, what help do you require? If you wish to know Lucas Wayneman's true name, we can say no more than the man named Peter has it. Page 26. The person whom you refer to as John is not to be trusted. Also, there is nothing to fear outside man. True, but you are not fully capable of knowing just what man really is. Without knowledge, you have fear. With fear, you create your own nightmares. So apparently now... They don't know if 2109 is this thing's name or the year it's from. So apparently now there's three different times. There's the 1540s with Lucas. There's a 1985 with Ken and Deb and Peter. And then there's 2109. And we still have no idea what 2109 is. What I think is kind of weird is that they just typed in calling 2109. Mm -hmm. And whoever 2109 is was like, oh, I got the call. I guess I need to log in and look at this. <laughs> yep. Or they've either been sitting there the whole time yeah. reading all of this and just waiting well, for yeah. the Well, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit too. Okay. I told you, this one is weird. Weird. So then 2109 writes and says, Ken, Deb, Peter, again, we give you two choices together with some help. What is our name? Too perfect that we make mistakes as we must have a character. Movement that casts no shadows. Thought without chemical reaction. Love without passion. Hate without anger. Wars without life lost. How can we have a name? We are many, but no more than one in the time to come. We have no retirement. Ah, what what an age to be if the digits were reversed. Marriage. <laughs> no idea what any of that means. No. And then they write, number one, do you wish to know of Lucas and what of him? Cause the computer to never have been in his time, thus he shall fall to no unnatural death. He would have no knowledge of you and your time to come. You shall have no proof. Number two, you continue with the computer and risk the sight of your destiny. But Lucas, ah, something will be proved. You three must sit undisturbed and talk and listen. Most importantly, the answer will come to you all, not from an individual. 2109 is real cryptic about the stuff that they I'll write. Say. Wow. So now the sheriff from Lucas's time gets on there and writes Ken asking who or what the heck he is. So now you got the sheriff writing to Ken. Also, at this time, the SPR finally shows up at the house. The two men who show up are Dave Welch and John Bucknall. 
the SPR members seal off the doors and windows to the kitchen where the computer was. So this would stop intruders from sneaking in and typing on the computer, and it would place the suspicion pretty much just on Ken and Deb. And they suspect that there was something installed on the computer that Ken or Deb could somehow trigger to print these messages, but I don't know if that's even really possible. So the two investigators send Ken and Deb down the street to the pub, and they string microphones and recorders up around the cottage to catch any paranormal activity. A message was left on the computer at 7.30 p.m., but there weren't any replies by 9.30 p.m., so the investigators wrapped up the investigation, having tea and biscuits with Ken and Deb and planning their next investigation. Tea and biscuits is so British. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about coming back for their next investigation. Uh, Ken and Deb sent a message but nothing had come back in two hours, so they're just calling it quits for the night. So the sheriff later wrote back describing how Lucas behaved in the court during the trial. The, uh, the sheriff says, quote, he cried not for mercy, but did say the commuter, which I think he means computer, but did say the commuter could only have come from God and that the court were no more than irregular half-witted botches who deserve to be strung up. <laughs> so, well then, okay. Yeah, Lucas with a mic drop on the court, like Lucas <laughs> is giving them what for. So the SPR came back for another investigation, but nothing happened. Uh, the poltergeist activity kept going on when Ken, Deb, and their friends were there, but whenever the SPR was there, nothing ever happened. Then another message appeared. The message said, quote, Friend, you want Lucas's name. I hid it when he left it. You may have it if you dismiss the sour-tempered fool with the beard, which they believe is referring to the SPR investigator Dave Welch. So then the friend writes again and says, quote, don't ask for Lucas's name as Fowlshurst, I think that's the sheriff, will have him killed. He is kept alive so that the leams still shines. I know this because I have heard him sing. There are few that sing in Latin in prison. Don't repeat these words to anyone or I shall be in great trouble. So then Deb continues to have dreams where she thinks that she sees Lucas. Then, apparently, they let Lucas out of jail again because he gets his leams back to write another message. He writes, quote, My three true friends, I do weep so that I am again free to be with my friends again at least for a short time. It is wrong that I cannot hold you close, but am only to show such love for my friends on the leams. I know you as well as my own family since your time was open to me. Before that, I never knew friendship so true, though it is over many years of change, and we are so often confused. But I need your words so that I may take comfort from them. I must rest so that when I speak to you tomorrow, or else I will make no sense of my words to my good friends. I need time to weep. And he signs it, Lucas. He's so emo. <laughs> Lucas is so emo. <laughs> then he writes again and says, quote, My friend... I think your maid, he thinks Debbie is the maid. My friend, I think your maid is something of a jester, but she must understand this important thing. It is certain that she saw me appear, and yet she insults me by not opening her mouth. I tell you, maid, speak to me. I won't harm you. I am not malicious or dangerous. If you speak with me and perhaps take to me, I will be allowed to take your hand so that I can see if I can touch a person of your time. This would help us communicate better, yet I will do nothing that you would not wish. This is why I must go very cautiously and ask you, my fellow, for advice. And then he signs it love lucas so he wants to hold her hand yeah he's he's smitten with deb <laughs> there, the there's, maid. there's more coming with that too so the spr comes back for more investigations so ken and deb ask lucas to write the next time that they are there 
Lucas replies, quote, My good fool, what do these persons, these visitors you speak of, want? Aren't they scholars from our beloved Oxford? Why do they come to see the Leams? What cause do these men serve by doing so? To avoid offending me, you should tell me more about them. Give their background and check their reasons for being here. It is very important. Take good heed to me. I remember that Fowlshurst said that a person that caused the Leams to disappear when they were close to it. Is one of these men the same person? You will not ruin me, nor will you use me like a toy or plaything. I don't think you will, so I go along with your wishes and consider their questions with the hope that you tell only men of wisdom who will not destroy my Leams and friends. Lucas. So he's like weirdly passive-aggressive. Like, apparently when mm -hmm. one of the SPR was near the computer, the computer disappeared in Lucas's time. That's the only mm -hmm. thing I could make sense of that. Mm -hmm. So then Lucas writes back, Does one of your peers seek to cause you harm? I think if your government takes over control of the device for their own ends, it will become their plaything. A great power would destabilize the whole of history. It is sure, or rather unsure, forgive me. I am sure that in my time there are a few who would not fear the leams, but it is not so in your world. It is essential your government does not take our leams, and you do not leave your brother Lucas. So Ken just takes a vacation. He's like he's like kind of had it with this whole thing. So Ken takes a vacation and leaves. He goes, gets in his Jaguar and drives out into the country. When he gets back, Deb confesses to him that she saw Lucas again in a dream and that he wrote to her but didn't want her to show it to Ken. Oh, boy. So then Ken uh, is like, what did he write? So then Deb tells him the message. So then uh, Lucas writes, Deb, sweetest of all creatures, please do not be so upset for it overwhelms me with sorrow that you think I do not wish to speak with you. From the first time I saw you, I was choked by my own breath, for although your fashion is unknown, I must say I was full of melancholy. I think it would be quite wise not to think of such conversation with you and ignore my feelings of love. Ken is a good man who I also love. Do not show this to Ken and say no more of this matter. My foolish love to you, maid. From Lucas. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. In the book, there's a long segment about the dream she had about Lucas, and it reads like a really bad romance novel. So she <laughs> dreamt that she walked in on him when he was making candles. And this comes from the book. Quote, the candles are of no matter, Debbie, Lucas interrupted. He pulled the candles from my tightening grip with one hand and covered my mouth with the other. My jaw ached with the tension. He removed his hand, and we both just sat silently for what felt like half an hour. Then he took my hand and held it tightly. He did not look at me, and I was glad, but he spoke. Your perfume haunts my house. Your hand is softer than any fair hand. He lifted my hand to his face and closed his eyes, then continued. Be you not real? Not only for your unnatural beauty, but also that you make me 430 years too old for you, maid. One day, Debbie will know Lucas as no more than history. Am I to live knowing nothing else? So there you go. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. So then John from SPR showed up and sat with Debbie, hoping for a communication. Nothing happened, so John and Debbie went down the street to the pub to get Ken. When they got back, a new message from Lucas was discovered. But John said it could have been sneakily, like, typed in quickly by Debbie when they got back, or the discs could have been switched, so it was kind of discounted. Like, the SPR wants nothing to do with it unless there's undeniable proof that there could have yeah. been no shenanigans. Okay. So the message read, quote, 
Please tell me why you move my words, 2109, for I want to communicate with my friend John. Let me at least exchange greetings with this man, Lucas. And then underneath that, it says, You cannot possibly understand why we are not to speak with such men. Numbers are not to your advantage, I think. Signed, 2109. So now, now Lucas and 2109 are writing to each other on the computer. So when the SPR guys come back, they check the computers and stuff and go to the pub. A lot of going to the pub, which is cool. <laughs> when they get back to check the computers, though, Ken is super annoyed to see that the SPR investigator Dave Welch wrote a hello to 2109 and signed it with his name before they left for the pub because Ken doesn't like 2109 and Ken doesn't trust 2109. So he's mad that this Dave guy decided just to write to them on his own. So they get back and they get this message to him. David, more answers than you have questions, but what are the right questions? A man cannot ask questions if he is unlikely to understand the answers. Yes, you're correct to say that one will not learn without questions, but there is a time to understand and a time to walk blindly. A man with hunger will eat bad fruit and surely die. Was it the fruit that killed this man, or was it the knowledge that the fruit was there for the taking? Do not waste further time by asking if the tree that bears this bad fruit is in front of you. It is better to have no knowledge at all than to have a distorted view of the truth because of your lack of understanding. We, 2109, are not without compassion, but if you continue to disrupt our experiments, then it is likely you will find your destiny. We shall, however, allow one more communication with you so that you may ask your profound questions." We shall answer as you wish, if in terms of physics, then it shall be so. But remember that our limits are set by your own abilities and not ours. There is no one after the man you call Lucas. The chance factor will not reoccur again in a time span that your kind can relate to. So that's the message to one of the SPR guys that asked them a question. Okay. So Ken and Deb began to think that 2109 has power over their messages on the computer, so they put out a piece of notebook paper and a piece of chalk to try to get Lucas to communicate over that, which he does. Then he messages them, telling them to move their computer to a certain place in their kitchen. They do it, and apparently in this location, 2109 can't interfere with the messages. So I don't know if it's like a, a <laughs> modem dead zone where, you know, like he can't. So they move it into like this corner of the kitchen where apparently 2109 can't interfere with their messages. So Lucas writes, Brother Ken, I am happy that we are by ourselves without 2109, for we have so far much unspoken to exchange. I can't think of why and with what method we are able to continue without without restriction now. Your leams sits in my dark chimney where the leams voiced first appeared with brightness, and the person who made it work is here with me. Before I tell you what is the truth in my name, you must tell me what is your philosophy. I must be acquainted with your position because, my good friend, I think you know better than I do what might happen after this decision is taken. He then writes, My friend, I have told Debbie the answer to your questions. I think that she doesn't understand all that is spoken, but she has some facility with most of my words. Lucas. Then he writes, Yes, you have my name in your book, I think. If not John, put Tom, and I think you will understand my name. It is also the place of Peter's house. What does this book of names and ages say about me? And then he signs it, Love, Thomas. So they know his real name now is Thomas. And what's interesting is that months before this, they had talked to the librarian in their area to try to figure out who this person was. 
and the librarian suggested that it might be somebody named Thomas Howarden or Harden. We're not really sure if it's Howarden or Harden, so I'm just going to go with okay. Harden. So the librarian suspected that, and it turns out that Thomas is this person's name, and someone of this name did exist and was the vicar of a church there in the 1550s. So Ken is starting to get overwhelmed with this whole thing, so he avoids using the computer for a while. Then he gets a message from Lucas saying, quote, It seems to me that you dislike my company. Why this change of heart? I have not wronged you, my good friend. Do you like the poet Wyatt? I can quote you some of his verses if it will restore our friendship. Love, Lucas. <laughs> so Lucas asks for poetry from our time so that he can include it in his book that he is writing. And this all leads to like the big question if this is real, where is Lucas's book? I mean, that's that's yeah. like one of the things that like the Facebook group I'm in, the the Reddit groups are trying to figure out, like if this book turned up written by this guy from the 1540s and he's talking about Ken and Deb, that would be like, whoa, like, you yeah. know, that would prove that, that this is true. So the big question now is where is this book that Lucas was supposedly writing? So in his book, The Vertical Plane, Ken writes, quote, He was collecting poetry and human intimate recollections, readable everyday stuff. I have not heard of it. The twist is that if this book were still available, I could not write of our communion. I would be merely fulfilling a prophecy with the benefit of hindsight. If this book exists and is found before I publish this account, then all is undone. But paradoxically, finding this book is one sure piece of evidence that we are not crazy. Please, someone find this book at the right time. So that leads to the question, where is this book? Mm -hmm. So Ken and Deb go on vacation, and when they get back, 2109 had written on their screen just the phrase, quote, don't have nightmares. No idea. Okay. Then one day they aren't in solid advice. Yeah. Then one day when they aren't in the kitchen, they hear a huge bang come from the kitchen, go in there and find out that something knocked their computer off the counter and the computer broke. So they go to the school and check out a new computer. And a few hours after they get the new computer, and you have to remember that this isn't all the same computer. He's constantly checking out new computers where this is showing up. Okay. Uh, so then they get a new computer and 2109 writes, quote, Silence before the storm. First, silence. So Ken is really annoyed at this point and writes, quote, 2109, forget the fourth form gloom and doom and explain what you want as you are preventing us from communicating with our friend. Of what harm is that? We love the fellow and he us. If you wish to help, please give your analysis of poltergeist phenomena. Beings of your ability should be less moody when confronted with us simple types. A little <laughs> open communication goes a long way when cooperation is the issue. Dig? I love that he writes dig. dig. I love that he writes <laughs> dig. Uh, after about a half-hour walk, they return to find this reply from 2109. It goes, quote, dig. You are mistaken. I love that they're saying dig to each other, mm -hmm. you know. Dig. You are mistaken. We do not speak any gloom and doom, but possibly you refer to the forces that you yourself have unleashed against our better judgment. It is correct for you to assume that the poltergeist phenomena is present in the communications, but we can say very little about this subject as only what you will know already. For reasons surely evident to you three, poltergeist phenomena is as follows. Surplus kinetic energy projected by either one or more individuals or by storage channels held within buildings and places where strong emotions, such as frustration, have been felt most common. 
energy centered around an individual, released for many reasons. Usually children of the ages between 12 to 19, 87.9% being girls. In all but three recorded cases, there have been no injuries inflicted by the source. The last case of in- I should have I wanted to look this up and I totally forgot. In all but three recorded cases, no injuries inflicted by the source. Last case of injury sustained by a falling beam recorded in 2006. So this came from 1985, and they're talking about someone being injured by a falling beam by a poltergeist in 2006. So I wanted to see if I could find anything about that. Yeah. The force is usually an extremely foul entity which seems to thrive on strong, adverse emotion, making little sense in its communication. It seems to play on an individual's fear. It dislikes lack of attention, has been thought at one stage that this is the individual's cry to be noticed. There is more said about this phenomena, but it would not be of interest to you. We have stopped communication between Lucas and yourself until things cool down. Then you may continue as before. Lucas's time will stand still relative to your time so that you may start where you left off. Signed, 2109. After a few days, 2109 writes, Ken, Deb, Peter, we have reason to believe that you have Lucas Wainman's true name. If this is correct, you must say so that we may rectify this problem immediately before it is accepted. You may now continue to write to Lucas to establish your responsibility to our experiments and towards a better understanding of time and its forces. 2109. Ken replies, 2109, I hope Lucas will be allowed to write freely, for if you study time, I cannot see what problem there is over names. We would use such information with the greatest tact. How many messages have you edited again? I ask, please explain your problem. I wish to know more of time as well. Once Lucas is clearly with us again, I shall be happy to cooperate fully. Please do not fake a message from him. Ken. 2109 replies, fake a message? Please. You must understand that we are not here to play games. The problem is greater than we can explain, what with your lack of knowledge. 2109 is pretty snarky. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You must understand that we are not here to play games. The problem is greater than we can explain. What with your lack of knowledge? What is a greater problem than placing an unbalanced card on a card tower and watch it collapse with devastating consequences? Even though you may save the ace, you will have lost the deck. What use is a single card for the game? So Ken writes back saying that they do know Lucas's real name. 2109 writes back says, Oh, if only you had listened. At present, you have two Lucases running around your house. If at any time the two are to meet, we cannot explain the devastation that will erupt within the time continuum. We must stop communication with Lucas 1, but we cannot interfere with the other. While we decide what can be done to rectify the problem, you must help be giving us every word uttered by Thomas from the second you received his true name. You must also state how much information you have on this man, everything word for word. Avoid any other communication you may have with him. Desperation. Be quick. 2109. So then Ken asks 2109 to help get rid of their poltergeist. 2109 responds, yes, we shall hold back as best we can on the PG. Sorry you find us so friendly. Ask the man David what he thinks of conjectural tachyons and what are his theories of causality. What answer does he have for its paradox? And then they signs it. Cheers, 2109. Hmm. Ken replies, please give time till experiment shut down. We'll have, to, we'll have time to communicate with Lucas once more. We'll telephone David tonight. Remember telephones? Did you used to punctuate LW's early messages? Play the game information for all? Signed, Ken. 2109 writes, quote, ha, you have left the caps off once more. Such a simple mistake. 
We are all capable of making mistakes, aren't we? Yes, telephones, the things that you may consider advanced communication. If only you could see what is to come. We, in your better interest, made slight adjustments to your conversations. But please let us call him by his true name, with Thomas. We are not entirely in command of this experiment, so we can only say that communications will cease no earlier than November. Ah, we see. You want some proof for your little comic. The comic, I think, is one of the SPR people. Well, we think you should first try to revise on what has already been said. If you tell us who is, quote, one, then we shall give you 100% evidence for the people directly investigating your phenomena, signed 2109. So now they're wondering who is this one person or one thing. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. So Peter has Ken write, quote, in order to communicate with you, we really have to know what kind of things we are dealing with. I suspected that quantum physics, a construct and conception of our scientists, would be old hat to you since we think of you as future, and future in our terms you must be. Is 2109 your date by our reckoning? If so, then it is a date also by your reckoning so that linear time is an inescapable concept in one fundamental one fundamental sense. Now, do you intend us to believe that you can alter our past, all our pasts, your own as well? Ken asked if the lacuna, I don't know what that is. Ken asked if the lacuna in the public records is your doing. A straight answer to that question would help us. I accept that your world is more complex, more dimensional than ours, and do not ask by what stages you have reached it, nor whether you are immortal. Such matters we can guess by imagination, if not quite by coherent logic. We are perhaps a part of some experiment you are conducting, but you must communicate within our terms for now. From our point of view, Lucas is a person of appreciable character talking with us in the language of the 16th century. I am engaged in studying that language and taking his speeches as valuable evidence of its forms. I would hope that if we can get the authenticity of the strange experience in which we are engaged validated by our own contemporaries, then these scripts from the 16th century will be accepted as providing important evidence of the state of the language of demotic speech, which is otherwise a great gap in modern linguistic studies. Can you confirm that his language is genuine, and can you perhaps help to establish the credibility of that fact? For the rest, good luck with your own researches. Signed, Peter. Peter is like the smart one of the group, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, Ken and Debbie just are t- trying to figure out what's going on, but Peter, <laughs> you know, Peter kind of yeah. talks to them about quantum physics and tachyons and time stuff. 2109 responds, quote, Peter, you are, without any exaggeration, a clever and cautious man whom have thought with great care your words. The use of the word dimensional has more relevance than you are given to believe, but we can see you care not for, quote, beating about the bush. You want to know only facts. We can understand your fear that communications with us may jeopardize your authenticity of this phenomena and consequently the language of Thomas Harden, but you still must have some facts. Understandable. Yes, a straight enough answer. We have mislaid what evidence we could, but you will come across more than you have already. Some facts accepted in our time. Number one, if a person is to physically travel in time, then they must take the living place of a person at the point of destination and vice versa. Imagine a set of scales balanced perfectly with pebbles. To remove a pebble from one dish to the other and keep this in perfect balance, you must instantaneously remove a pebble from the other and replace them in reverse order. You may move a couple of pebbles already in the dish, but the vital balance is still kept. If someone is... 
Basically, yeah. If someone <laughs> if someone is brought in from another dimension, then again, the same procedure applies. Number two, matter will not, as we know, ever travel in time. This is not a contradiction to the above information. Number three, we are not in control of this experiment. Number four, Thomas is a person living in the 16th century, but unknown to him, he is not quite what he seems to be. The people are trying to figure out what that means because we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the 2109 writes, Ken, is there a possibility that you may persuade Thomas to call up this chap, quote, one tonight, as it is imperative that we speak to him immediately? 2109. So then Ken writes and asks Lucas slash Thomas about this, quote, one, and he replies, my good fellow Ken, you asked of one from 2109. He said many nonsensical things to me and was boasting of his power somewhat, but before I could offer him a seat, he had already gone. He said that he will write my book, and we were not to speak to 2109, for they are taunters that only want to force their thoughts onto us. But I can't square that with talk from a man that looks green as a, and is a time voyager. What do you think? I am confused and ask you why you speak with these persons because there is no need. Please speak only with your fellow, poor wretched Thomas, and not with these gabbering 2109 in case you may be taken to be insane. Signed, Thomas. So apparently one is part of 2109, but he was green and he was a time voyager. Okay. It's so weird, but this is like so to me, this is like like bad Doctor Who fan fiction. Yeah. Totally. Where twenty one oh nine are the time lords, uh, and one is the doctor that kind of broke away from the time lords and that they're messing around with, with Thomas in the in the fourteen fifteen hundreds and and Dave and or Ken and Debbie in nineteen eighty five. So it's like Doctor Who fan fiction. So David and John from SPR decide to try an experiment. They come up with 10 questions to send to 2109. Dave types them onto the screen and immediately deletes them without saving them because they figure if 2109 is real, they should still see the questions even though they aren't saved anywhere. After a few days, 2109 writes, quote, David, John. David, you interfere with communication. Next time you decide to perform your little experiment, you must be clear from here. We suggest you try someone else to sit with Debbie. Yes, we are what you would call a tachyon universe, but your understanding is incorrect. We ask nothing more of you than to carry on as you would prefer. We will have John present if given choice, or you may bring another as mentioned. No, it is no concern to us that this is not proved. We will give you a plotting of a star next time. We move at a speed so that we cover every point in your time and universe. We have no form. We feed off a neat energy that you will not have heard of. Signed 2109. So Dave from SPR was amazed because even though they didn't specifically answer the 10 questions, they said enough to show that they had seen the questions, which shouldn't have been possible, like the stuff about plotting a star for them. So then Dave has Ken ask, 2109, could you solve these for David, please? Signed, Ken. And then he writes, <clears throat> I think that the largest prime number we know is 2 to the power of 216091. Can you give a larger prime number of a different composition? Fermat. This is, I'm not even going to go into this because it's all mathematical. This is like Fermat's theorem. <laughs> like Fermat's theorem is like a mathematical thing. And it's like it was unsolved and they want to know if two thought or 2109 can can say that it's been solved 
So then 2109 writes back and says, Dave, yes, both questions can be answered, one directly, the other requiring an understanding of a new conversion formula. Before we tell you, do you swear to grant us our wish? And none of these can, like the SPR guys, don't really know what their wish is, so they reply, if it be in our power to do so and that we do not lose our minds or souls or our bodies to you. 2109 responds, then let the man who is willing to lose these step forward. To lose your soul is to lose all, but surely this would not bother David. Call our bluff. Answer either yes or no. You asked a question. We answered it. Your turn, if we are to answer questions again, do you want the answer? So then Ken and Deb considered typing in yes without David knowing. You know, because apparently 2109 is like wants their soul or their body or their minds. So they consider typing in yes without David knowing. But then they, they ultimately said no. 2109 responded, your mind is half made up. I hope you don't think we're laughing at you now. That would annoy you. We'll catch the bullets before you pull the trigger. Lots of love, 2109. So 2109 are kind of jerks. Yeah. You know. I told you this was going to be a long, crazy story. It is crazy. That is for sure. <laughs> so SPR writes, this will be our final communication with you unless you deal with us more reasonably. So far, we could explain all of your antics in terms of a few electronic bugs and a couple of old school textbooks. We have no enthusiasm for trying to perform experiments when you deliberately obstruct us. If you are what you say you are, can you give us sufficient evidence to prove it? If not, your silence will speak for itself. The questions we gave you were not themselves in search of knowledge. We will have all those answers within a few years. We were just giving you a chance to show your ability. We refuse to cooperate with your outrageous requests because we value mind, body, and soul more than any knowledge that we could possess. If you are a friend, you would not ask us to be so stupid. If you decide, without conditions, to show that you have knowledge beyond our own, we may be able to pass this information to those who could help you. Please remember that, above all, we value peace of mind. Do not ask us to do things which break our ethical code. Signed, David and John. Hmm. David writes and says that he's not impressed with them since they didn't answer their 10 questions. 2019 responds, We wonder how much David would like to know the next prime number, if he knew the consequences. Why should we give it to someone who blankly refused the answer before? We aren't here to impress. We suppose they have to put something in their little book that they can relate to. Mm, cheap hoax, huh? Something tells us they haven't been doing their homework. Tut tut. Yes, any computer will do. Thomas always needs word processor, though. Speed is our virtue. Tell him, David, that whatever he writes we will see, but he'll have to give a good reason why we should answer his questions. One of your two friends are not being completely truthful. There's a lot of disagreeing going on. One is not important. There are better things to talk about. 2109. Then they get this message that they have no idea who it's from. It just says, quote, I know your greatest fears. I know how to be emotive. I can interfere with all single, all signal transmitting devices, including computers. I have the power to make you do exactly what is required. Are you angry? Very angry? I can make the computer non-communicable. All is not what it appears to be. You cannot afford to be angry. Someone's in trouble. So they have no idea who this is from. Mm -hmm. The SPR then returns with another group member named Nick Sowerby Johnson with them. After some unsuccessful experiments, this appeared later. Psychobillies, hello, I don't know what Psychobillies is, that's what 2109 is calling them apparently. 
Psychobillies, hello. Growing in numbers, are we? No, he doesn't interfere with the communications. What's his real name? More info not given enough on this man. Before we reply to your questions, this man appeals to us. We would sooner have someone with more experience. One thing you are going to learn quickly if you attempt to break the, the rules, i.e. sneaky looks through windows inside the zone, we won't play ball. We refuse to answer your star question. No reason. Yes, we understand fully what you are trying to achieve, but we are not the ones in need of help. Answers after more info on this man, 2109. So 2109 wants information on this Nick fellow that's joining SPR now. A few days later, Ken sees this on the computer screen. SM fields will cause more than disruption with this kind. No more games. Tell them. And then underneath that, why don't you? And then underneath that, you know why. And they suspected that this was 2109 and this one person talking to each other on their computer. 2109 writes, quote, your friend Nick is a crashing bore. Where does he work? MI5? USSR? Can't find him anywhere. Maybe he's, quote, one. No more games with SPR. We've had enough. Just let them annoy us one more time. They'll so know this isn't a hoax. 2109. So then after this, SPR is just like done. They filed their report on the matter. And this comes directly from the book, uh, The Vertical Plane. Quote, these reports are rather special as they form the last commentary on the subject that we ever received from John. The reports read, quote, the case has been investigated by the respected academic body, the Society for Psychical Research, who are satisfied that human agencies are responsible. On the 10 question test, it says, quote, we did not get a specific answer, said Mr. Bucknall. We got instead generalized commentary accusing us of not believing in what was going on. We got waffle. <laughs> I don't, that's apparently a British thing. On the culprit, quote, having established to its satisfaction that human agencies were responsible, it was not the job of the society to point the finger. Mr. Bucknall was convinced that nothing paranormal is occurring. Something or somebody is doing it, he said. On the content of the messages, quote, the society has not analyzed the computer prints out for linguistic or historical accuracy. Mr. Bucknall points out it could establish nothing which could not be shown to be within the realm of available scholarship and therefore would prove nothing. So basically, the SPR is saying it's just it's a person doing this. There's nothing there that you could not learn from a textbook. Yeah. Uh, John Bucknall never himself filed a report on the case and left the society in 1986. He has been impossible to contact ever since. So apparently nobody was ever able to get a hold of this John Bucknall person. 2109 writes, quote, in order that you may pay a little more attention to our needs, we ask you to do the following. There is a brilliant researcher, a ufologist. We know you don't like the word. His name is Gary Rowe. His ideas differ somewhat to yours, but nevertheless, he can help you with a couple of your problems. You may phone him at the number below and invite him to talk with you. When he comes, show him this and ask him what he makes of it. Peter must do the telephoning. Tell him that you got the telephone number from a UFO enthusiast. Signed, signed 2109. So this Gary Rowe UFO investigator shows up and strings a bunch of cameras and recorders and monitors up in the kitchen by the computer. According to the book, the cameras saved a lot of clips where the censors said that they caught activity going on, but nothing was shown to be happening on screen, which is kind of weird. You know, like it's seeing mm -hmm. something that's not there. 
Then Gary Rowe requests that he talk directly to 2109 by leaving a written letter in a sealed envelope on top of the computer. 2109 says that's okay. So they leave the letter sealed on top of the computer, and after a amount of time, the letter is missing. 2109 writes back and tells Ken that they will respond to Gary's letter, but they want Ken to print out their reply to Gary from the computer with his back turned so that he can't read it, and then to delete it right away. So he agrees with this and does it. Deb writes, quote, Greetings, 2109. Would you please tell me what progress you're making with Gary, as we do not like being left in the dark this way? Does this help us like you said it would, or does it help you? Why is it that Gary, who, as far as we've given to understand, has never spoken with you before, can have information that we are restricted to have? Is Gary's investigation going to prove positive for us? Signed, Debbie. 2109 responds, Greetings. The communication between Gary and 2109 is of no interest to you. Gary has a better understanding of us than you do. His experiences are most definitely an advantage to this. His physical test will prove negative. Unfortunately, you put far too much concern in proving this to the world. You know that this is a worthless effort. Why ask? You must not be pushy with Gary. You underestimate his abilities, and that indirectly is an insult to us. If you had opened your eyes a bit wider and read the communications more intently, you would have had half the advantage that Gary has. We must make a move. Thomas has four days, then he will leave. We shall follow. Gary Rowe has and will serve his purpose. Signed, 2109. So Gary gets the sealed response from 2109, and he's pretty much done with the matter. But as you'll see, there's more with Gary. Ken and Deb never see a report from Gary either. So Lucas slash Thomas writes about when he got the, the Leams voiced or the box. He says, quote, my brother Ken, I thank you for your words. They have given me base upon which to understand the Leams. I will now tell you about what you might call an antic. Catherine, I'm guessing that's his wife, Catherine was sleeping in the chimney seat, so I went over to pick her up and carry her to bed when I saw a green light shining from the walls of my chimney, and from this light stepped what I thought was the devil himself. I never feared for my soul so much in my life, but was so afraid that I couldn't move away from this strange messenger. He said, Fear not, good Thomas, you are starred to be a great man, if you do not have fear but keep your faith strong." Then, Santa Claus brought him <laughs> this is one, apparently. One, I guess, is the one that brought him the Leem's voice. Oh, then, okay. after other words, which I do confess were not like devil talk, he was gone, leaving the Leem's, which appeared to be the same as your computer. I immediately woke Catherine, but she didn't see the Leem's, nor hear me speak with a metaphysical person, but said, quote, You silly Thomas, you were in your dreams. Now don't frighten me with your disturbed thoughts. So to mope I did, for there shone the leams, but Catherine saw it not. I was so worried for my sanity that I spoke the Lord's Prayer all night, but it would not go, but sat with glee unseen all but by myself. Then two days afterward, Catherine was singing by the chimney and the leams, and I saw that her words appeared on the screen when Catherine went walking. I tried verses myself and other words and gained knowledge about the leams. Do you want to know more about the leams? Signed Thomas. Thomas also wrote, Brother Ken and favorite fellow, I shall tell you more of the leams as this is your desire. I cannot remember the name of the verse I received, but it was a ditty for a young child and it was easy to sing, though I can't put it to paper. It was something about the high stars at night. 
After I was familiar with the leams, I asked why it was there, and that was when the words I showed you on paper came. I think now they were from 2109. I was so shocked by this that I thought it was communication with the devil by this device. I made a promise not to allow myself to be damned by such madness, but it wouldn't go away, though no one saw it. After this, I was haunted in my sleep by strange dreams, and all day devils turned my house upside down, scaring Catherine. I went to the Leams, and I asked it why it wanted to bring such fear into my house. Then I think you wrote, and all was still. I can understand, if what you say is true, that you also thought I was the devil, but now I know my fellows to be good men. You love Brother Thomas, and we have trust in one another. Don't you agree, Thomas? So... The, this Leams boy showed up. Catherine couldn't see it. And he figured out, Thomas figured out that when you would say stuff, it would put the words on the screen. Mm. So he, he doesn't know how to use the computer. But when you say words, they show up on the screen, apparently. Okay. And then this is the last post from Thomas. Quote, my true fellows and sweet maid. It has been said that Thomas must go. I know it is for the best because the people of Dodleston are very wary of me. They say they will burn my old farm down and that except for him, all the village despises me. At least that is his view. I think this is his friend. It is good to know that all will change and there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter. Though 400 years is a long time and there is much to happen to mankind. It is sad that men must learn righteousness from their ugly ways, believing that they have to look for truth and ruthlessness and never follow a, a path that is for truth. I pray for my fellows at night that they are never imprisoned because of their love for their brother Thomas. Are we not true men? I say, woe to you all men who are not true, for you are marked by God. He will not have your company, but you will walk with the beast of hell forevermore. Yes, you that have no worth in this life. I know that I mustn't sorrow, for I cannot put these feelings to paper, but you must know that I weep and am emotional. I find it hard to write. Perhaps you will come to Oxford now that I think there is no danger for me there, for I hear the king is very sick and all is quiet in the church. I shall go by boat from Chester to Bristol. There I will buy a horse, for mine will not go on a boat. It is scared of water as it is scared of horse sickness. I also weep for him. I shall try to make my stay at Brasenose, though I know I was expelled many years ago. I will write my book about my brothers and my maid and of the end of Lucas and the little puppy and of our love for each other. One day you will all sit down at my table for wine and meat by the river in Oxford, where we shall read each other's books and laugh, and we shall speak of truth and good men, watching Oxford change together forevermore. In your time, my book is old, but I shall not go to my God until it is written. Then we will all be truly embraced. My love to you all. I shall await you in Oxford. Signed, Thomas Harden. Hmm. 2109 writes, quote, Ken, Deb, Peter, true are the nightmares of those that fear. What you fear will be your reality if you let it. Believe in yourselves. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. As long as your kind cannot penetrate our world, we are safe. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow, but the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. This is like the poem that was originally sent, mm -hmm. that showed up on their computer the first time. Knowledge will be your progress, but your kind are coming close to getting their fingers burnt. Indirectly, you may prevent this. Get out your bricks. Get ready to build. Write the book. Pussycat, Pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. The cat went to visit the queen, but instead frightened the little mouse under the chair. 
ultimately, London will be a significant place. Stick to your main aims. It doesn't matter how hard they seem to get. Do not be distracted by that tiny mouse that has a deceiving charm. Faith must not be lost. You all rely on each other's faith. There is another person to come. They will be the help we need. You will know them when they come. Thomas did eventually write his book and soon died shortly after. He placed it in a secure place. It shouldn't take too many years to find it, though he wrote it in Latin with the help of a friend that he met at Oxford. The inscription on the book reads, quote, Me writes this in the hope that my fellows will one day find this book, then may our lands not be so distant. We will finish now. You have a lot of work to do. There is no need for you to write back as we will have gone. Thank you for your cooperation. 2109. And then Ken ends the book with the, with the sentence, For myself, I am hoping someone will find a book a friend left for me some years ago. So there you go. There, that's the story of the total stint messages. Wow. Okay. <laughs> right? That's uh, crazy. How long? What, what time? How long is this episode? I don't even know. Uh, we're an hour and 22 minutes. Oh, that's not so bad. Dang. Okay, I thought it was going to be way longer than that. No. So that is the story of the Doddleston messages. I don't think I've ever heard such a drawn-out paranormal (laughs) thing. You know what I mean? I know. And the thing is, I could have – let me get a drink here. My throat is getting sore. I could have cut out a lot of the stuff – but I didn't want to because I think it's really, really interesting when you as a whole, like like a lot of the, the podcasts I listened to about this when I was researching it, cut a lot of the story out. But I think a lot of it is important. So we get to the two main theories. I'm guessing you're going to know what the two main theories are that I'm going to talk <laughs> about. Yeah. Theory number one, it is not real. So that seems to be the prevalent theory that it is not real. Uh, One of the reasons, like, why hasn't this happened again with the explosion of computers and the Internet and stuff like that? Why is there only this one instance of this happening? Well, I think today it would be explained away as you got hacked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That wasn't possible really in 1985 because there was no modem. There was no Internet. I don't know. Right. Uh, But the question is, why hasn't this happened again? And they kind of – they, I don't remember what passage it's from, but when 2109 is talking one of the times, they say something like, the chances of this happening again are very slim. Like once they say that Thomas or Lucas will disappear, they say this won't happen again because the chances of this this connection, this communication is very slim. So they do kind of reference that in the book. Um, Another a reason why people think that it is not real. This comes from an August 14th, 2020 article on Tom Ruffles blog called quote, the joy of mere words. He writes quote, in August, 1996 out of this world presented by Carol Vorderman covered this case in two parts. She said that Ken and Debbie not giving Webster's surname for some reason had helped in the making of the program, but had chosen not to personally appear in a reconstruction. Instead, actors were used to dramatize the events in greatly simplified form. The segment concluded with Richard Wiseman interviewing Ken and Debbie, although they were not shown clearly. Wiseman said that they had made new lives and did not wish to be identified. Presumably, then, Ken Webster is a pseudonym. That's not his real name. 
He talked to Peter Trinder, their friend who analyzed the messages from Lucas and had pronounced them genuine, but he also spoke to Dr. Laura Wright of Cambridge University who analyzed the text. She said that the verb structure that Lucas had made statements in a way that people would not have made at the time, reinforcing the hoax likelihood. Asked whether or not it could be a hoax, Wright stated, quote, if it's meant to look like early modern English writing, it doesn't even look close. Webster's comeback was that any academic wanting to keep his or her position would not say that this is real. However, more damningly, Wright carried out an analysis of the incidence of adjectives in front of nouns and found an almost identical frequency between Lucas's messages and Webster's descriptive passages from his book, 26% and 26.6% respectively, whereas the frequency of a sample of other writing from that period Webster was writing the books was 32 to 35%. Webster unsurprisingly denied authorship, claiming that he was not present for about four-fifths of the occasions that the messages were received. Uh, he would, according to his testimony, often go for a drive or to the pub while waiting for them to appear. Vorderman finished by saying that Wiseman had spoken to the two SPR investigators, not specifying the second. She said that they had chosen not to appear, but they thought that it was a hoax, adding that they had no idea how it was done, which is a curious declaration, presumably intended to avoid a direct accusation. So they're saying, we think it was a hoax, but they didn't want to just come out and say, no, Ken and Debbie were faking it. Webster sounded grumpy at being challenged by Wiseman and said that he was happy just to wait for Lucas's book to come to light. One suspects he will have a long wait. So there you go. And there were another reason people say it's fake is because there were a lot of problems with the punctuation and the geography and the whole thing about about Oxford College Jesus or the Jesus College Oxford not existing yet. But Lucas does kind of address that in his in his messages saying that he was trying to see if Ken and Deb were fake because they would know like they would question him like, why does this college not exist yet or why does your punctuation bad? But it's also implied that 2109 is going in and changing the punctuation in Lucas's first messages. So, you know, there's just mm -hmm. there's a lot that points to the fact that there's a lot that points to the fact that this is a hoax. Yeah. You know, number one, the story is just crazy. I mean, it's it's like it's like an even more blown up, bizarre John Teeter time traveling story. You know, there's no actual time travel. It's more communication. It's more like yeah. it's more considered ITC or, or or communication through devices than actual time travel. But it's it's more time communication. It's like frequency too. That movie yeah. frequency. Yeah. My reason for thinking this is a hoax is just that it's just too good. It's too elaborate. It, there's too much that happened. Like paranormal stuff doesn't work that way. No, <laughs> no, no. But uh. Uh, like 99% of people out there, I think, think it's a hoax. Yeah. And there's I'm there's a, there's a lot of reasons why to think so. Theory number two, it's real, that this legitimately happened. Uh, you know, Tom Ruffles' site that I, I mentioned before said perhaps it was possible for two centuries to come close enough for communications to be able to pass between them in some way. And some people speculate that Debbie – is the one that's important here that she was maybe acting as like a medium and that she and Lucas were sensitives who somehow became synchronized across the timelines. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel <laughs> like a lot of people look at Ken and not as many people look at Debbie and so much of the stuff that happened involved Debbie, like her seeing Lucas and, and 
you know, like like Ken never saw Lucas. So people are thinking maybe Debbie is somehow some kind of psychic medium who was able to bridge this gap with Lucas. Hmm. I don't know. Another theory that maybe it was a poltergeist messing with them, you know, and that's a, that's a possibility because a lot of the stuff started with like poltergeist activity. Right. You know, so yeah, was but, like really, that was so brief though. And then it just turned into communication. Yeah. The, but the poltergeist too. stuff was kind of going on during the entire time that they were communicating with Lucas and 2109 and all that stuff, Hmm. you know, so, but poltergeist are, they can, they can knock something over, but they aren't really known for carrying on long communications with people over a computer. Another theory is that Deb or Ken were doing this unconsciously with latent telekinetic powers. I guess that's possible. Sure. You know, I think that's more likely than anything else. Yeah, you don't think it was actual communication with somebody from the 1500s? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, Not going to a computer. <laughs> going to a uh, going to some Reddit comments here. One Reddit comment is my theory is that it was all Debbie. All the messages were written on the computer by Debbie, and somebody replies saying. She is the only one still going on about it, it seems. Everyone else has gone on with their lives from what I've seen. But Debbie is still involved in all this. She's on the Facebook group. She's on the Reddit threads. That's and, interesting. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to like a quote from her here uh, coming up shortly. So a lot of this, this I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Mercurius Politicus blog is kind of what blew this up in recent times because this person on this blog – posted about this case happening and it, it kind of died down and posting it on this blog kind of brought it back up and there's tons of comments underneath the blog post about this uh and this is this is where i feel like things get kind of interesting so under the blog comments somebody underneath on the blog thing said quote delighted to have happened upon this blog i'm currently rereading the vertical plane which has fascinated me ever since a friend recommended it to me in the late 1980s in effect webster and lucas slash thomas are communicating the way we do now almost without thinking they are sending email messages to one another or facebooking I wonder if the author still resides at the cottage or if he has moved on, whether current incumbents have also experienced strange phenomena, whether the book is an elaborate fiction or a straightforward retelling of actual events is somewhat immaterial. To my mind, this is a unique and fascinating book, not too well written by the author, which tends to dismiss any hoax via the apparently verified spelling and grammar of Lucas slash Thomas from the past, and stands alone among modern fiction slash storytelling slash historical reportage, whichever it may be. Verification may be made if Lucas slash Thomas's book is one day ever discovered, as the mysterious collective 2109 suggests will happen. That will mark a huge shift in the way we see time travel. I do hope it happens in my lifetime. And then to this replies Gary Rowe, the UFO researcher from the book. Gary writes, quote, Many people are highly skeptical about the events related in the Vertical Plane book, quite rightly so, given the degree of strangeness. But I am not. I had the opportunity to investigate these happenings firsthand. No, I am not some away with the fairies wishful believer. I investigated with professional detachment, not bothered by what I would find, fake or fact. I left no stone unturned and used cutting-edge science to get to the truth. In fact, I believe it was the first computer-controlled psychic investigation recorded in the world. 
I don't care two hoots if nobody ever believes it. I know it really happened. It changed my life forever. It's going to change yours. The book should slash will one day be recorded under the history section. It is a monumental historical marker in the ribbon of time. So Gary, the UFO researcher, completely believes that this happened. Somebody responds to him saying, Gary, I have not had the privilege to read the book, but am another person who was lucky enough to stumble upon the story through the Mysterious Universe podcast and to find the implications fascinating. While I'm far from understanding the topics the story broaches upon, I've been on my own quest in a way to understand the universe, and I feel like your involvement in the topic showcases that you know something important. Will the public ever get to hear your side of the story? Gary replies, quote, Thank you for your inquiry. I would only ever be able to tell more if 2109 said that I should. I can, of course, talk as much as I wish regarding the general events, the equipment I used, and my involvement. There is much you could glean from studying the book at length. There are a lot of clues, sadly, in between the lines. Best wishes, Gary. Somebody else responds, Hello, Gary. You mentioned in recent posts that you could speak regarding the general events. You also mentioned that you shouldn't underestimate the capabilities of 2109. Can you elaborate on that? Also, what was the nature of your sealed envelope communications between yourself and 2109? The Mysterious Universe podcast mentions also that there were objects passed. What were those? Since the vertical plane book is so difficult to obtain these days, can you speak specifically about your side of the story? Also, have you had any further communication between yourself and 2109? I appreciate and look forward to your response. So then Gary replies, quote, The capabilities of 2109. If you can believe that they were able to actually physically travel hundreds of years in the past to deliver the apparatus slash machine slash computer slash monitor, the Leams Boist, that made communication possible in those not-so-technical days, add to this their ability to put messages into a modem, non-doctored BBC computer despite it being inside a Faraday shield and only collected to the electricity via a mains cleaner filter, Coupled with this, they also knew all of my personal details that no one but myself were privileged to. What else might you suppose that they are capable of? You can assume that any questions I have not answered here are currently out of bounds for me to answer. If you've read the book, you'll have many other questions, some of which I hope to maybe someday answer. I hope that I have been of some small use. My best wishes to you and anyone else looking into this incredible happening. Regards, Gary. Somebody else replies, Gary, I have recently obtained a copy of the book and just finished reading it. I will continue studying it as you say there is much to learn and many clues to find. I know you will not talk about your personal communications with 2109, but might speak about the general event. Do you know if anyone has searched for Thomas Harden's book? Or do you know what has become of the cottage in Doddleston now? 2109 says that a person will come along to help and that Ken will know who that person is. What do you think of that? I would love to talk to you more personally about the event. Some of the things I have read in this book are shocking. Somebody else replies, Hi, I'm hoping Gary will see this too. I met a man who claims to have also investigated at Doddleston, and he asked 2109 a question, and they answered, and he told me their answer. He asked them the truth about an event from the past that was believed to have been covered up. 2109 knew the truth. When the man tried to publish the truth, he got into trouble with the government and it was covered up again. But now that truth is leaking out. 
Do you know anything about this, Gary? Was it maybe you I spoke to on the Isle of Man? I'm trying to find out if I really met someone who spoke to 2109. He didn't call them that. Or if I'd been hoaxed. Hiding a secret in a hoax seems quite clever. I'd be interested in any views. So then Gary writes back, Sorry, I do not know anything about the event you refer to. I am afraid that I can be of little help in putting you in touch with Ken Webster, as I have had no contact with him since the events of the book. I have no idea where he now lives. If you should find out, perhaps you would be kind enough to let me know. Somebody responds to him, Gary, can you tell us what type of equipment you used to communicate with 2109? Do you still stay in touch with them? And is is it possible for a common citizen like myself to contact 2109? Can we use modern-day computers? Thank you very much. He replies, Despite having my own computer on site and a plethora of other equipment available, I did not use any of my equipment to contact 2109. They used the BBC microcomputers that was at the cottage. It would seem that they were able to put messages directly onto the computer, despite the computer having been investigated by the manufacturer and connected through a mains filter, and on one occasion, even inside a Faraday-shielded box, and no other connection to telephone lines, etc. They, 2109, told me that they would prefer to contact me through my own computer, a Tandy TRS-80 Level 2, with printer if I could fit it with an Edward chip. The Edward chip is what the BBC computer had. That was like the the word processor chip. So apparently it had to be this specific chip. So they said I could contact them on my own computer, a Tandy TRS-80 Level 2 with printer, if I would fit it with an Edward chip at my own home. I declined as I did not want any contact at my home. (laughs) Totally don't blame them. Also, it was much easier for me to control my investigation in the cottage. I learned very early on, do not underestimate the capabilities of 2109. They are awesome. If they choose to contact you, they will. You won't need any special equipment. You could, of course, request to be contacted, but I would not recommend it. It would come at a price. I hope this answered your question. Best wishes, Gary. So, I mean, Gary's like totally into this, like buying into this. The chip thing is weird to me. That's like that it needs to be that specific chip. Yeah, that's just weirdly specific. Yeah, but but Gary is like paranormal work that way. Gary is saying so. don't contact them because if they want to get in touch with you, they will get in touch with you. That's why I texted you yesterday that maybe 2109 is the reason why we're having snow and I wasn't able to come down there now. Ah, gotcha. So then somebody writes, the question is, does Edward 2 need to be on a ROM cartridge or will a floppy disk version work? <laughs> So somebody responds, the question is, does Edward 2 need to be on a ROM cartridge or will a floppy disk version work? And this person gets a reply from Deb. So Debbie, and this is like 2018 or 19, so it's recent. So Deb writes, quote, we had no luck with anything other than the Edward ROM for some reason. It seemed to be an important component. Communication pretty much stopped via the computer when this was removed. Edward 2 seems better than Edward 1. It would be interesting to see what you get if you are able to set this up, especially as it's now affordable to keep a digital camera running all the time on the computer, which was not possible in the early 80s. We can't afford the disruption to our lives again, as few people can these days. Sadly, you don't get to choose when the genie goes back in the bottle, so don't attempt to do this unless unless your lifestyle permits this. Otherwise, keep us informed here if you get anything. So like I said, Debbie and Gary are still around and are still commenting on this yeah Hmm. and you know the thing is like 
this was 1985. If this was a hoax, don't you think by now somebody would have been like, oh yeah, we just did that for fun, for the book. Nobody ever did. Nobody ever came forward and said that they were hoaxing this. Hmm. So either somebody is running like a long, a really long con or it's legit. So just a couple more posts here. Somebody writes, yep, a weird story. And some net friends of mine said they spoke to some of the people involved and that it's, a, it, that it's real and genuine as far as they can tell. One guy told me that he got confirmation from someone supposedly from the controllers running the time interactions. Who knows? I've had a couple deeply weird incidents where longtime, seemingly sane, intelligent net friends revealed some seriously weird stuff. One was basically a breakaway Star Trek culture that split away from the military-industrial complex, and the other was this incident, which, although I can't confirm, is supported by their long-term veracity and other matters. So, I don't know. It's interesting and something to put into the maybe file, in my opinion. Deb writes in February of 2022... There is no problem for me as someone is a true skeptic. What I don't really have time for is those who believe everything or those who believe nothing. That's just lazy, isn't it? All we ask is that the reader reads the book fully before coming to their own conclusion. And then this was interesting from Reddit. Uh, you'll like this. Reading the vertical plane put me in the mind of hellier and notions of a group unbeknownst to themselves being ritually bound together. Both hellier and the vertical plane are archetypal high strangest encounters. There are a lot of odd crossovers between Ken Webster's tale and the Hellier crew's experience of the phenomena. And then I'm not going to go into this because there's a ton, but this person like talks about all this stuff, like experience guided or led by synchronicity, although the term is never used in the vertical plane book. Occurrences of odd coincidence of sufficient profundity to defy randomness. Essentiality of time and location experience as well as sensitivity of a contactee. Uh, it goes into numerology in the book, wondering if 2109 is numerology, which was also important in Hellier. So this person talks about all this stuff that kind of Hellier had in 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 combination yeah, or the same. You I know, they talk they talk about green skinned entities, you know, mm -hmm. which is yeah, kind of yeah. uh, a lot of stuff about numero numerology. Uh, cryptic emails. Cryptic emails. Uh, <laughs> Lucas explained that a demon emerged from a green glowing portal in his wall and gave him the light box. It sat in his kitchen and he didn't know how to use it. Uh, liminal areas, thin places, the cottage where the Websters re received 14 communications was under renovation, inhabiting an in-between space, ritual binding of a group, a shared experience. Cases commencing with a cryptic email, possibly fraudulent, a lot of trickster elements. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. And the person says, I, I won't keep going on and on, but this whole story is a goldmine. There is an active subreddit about the vertical plane and incredible and in-depth discussions about it on the top secret, above top secret forums. Cheers again for posting this. Really got my mind moving. Somebody else writes, hi there, I just wanted to add to this thread, although it's a bit old. I'm staying where I went to school, and it so happens that Peter Trinder, he's Peter from the story, uh, Ken's friend, is also here with me, and he told me about this strange experience as we chatted one evening. Not only am I an English graduate, with old and middle English studies included, but my mom and grandma also attended the school where Mr. Trinder taught my mom briefly, so I was enthralled to talk with him. 
He is very much Oxbridge old school and very skeptical of all this technology, but it seemed to me that his attitude to this bizarre phenomenon was one of resigned perplexity. He told me he felt a strange kind of closeness to Thomas through his analysis of the old words and grammar use. He always questioned and still does why this communication should be happening, what anyone would have to gain by tricking him in such an elaborate way, why anyone would go to such lengths. He investigated much of the factual evidence behind what Thomas referred to and discovered so much truth in his words that it would almost be too obscure for someone else to research, too random to be brought together by anything other than genuine life events. Mr. Trinder himself stated that nothing ever really came out of what happened, no answers were ever found, and he decided there was no use in continuing to try to find conclusive answers. I must say that from talking with Link, talking at length with Mr. Trinder over the evening, I genuinely, I genuinely believe that if these events really were hoaxed, he was not a party to the hoaxer's plan. He explained that he wondered why anyone would go to links like this to make him look like a fool. But anyway, he said he did not feel like a fool. He was very interested in this case and learned a lot during the process of researching Thomas's words. He said he never felt scared or threatened by what was happening, but it was interesting and almost comforting. I have not yet read A Vertical Plane, but it appears to be currently available on Amazon, so I'm looking forward to buying it. I usually tend to be quite skeptical of this sort of thing, but I love the idea of being able to communicate with those who have passed away, or better still, communicate with another time in history. If this was a hoax, somehow it was enriching for Mr. Trinder and fascinating for the rest of us. If it was real, well, we may never understand it. Somebody else writes, there are a lot of aspects in this story that are not in the book, not known to the mainstream audience, and are told in private. I was lucky, I guess that's the word, to be privy to some of those conversations and the information. It helps paint a bigger picture, but none of it is the key to understanding it as a whole in my experience. Having said that, I personally think that the book itself and the story of the relationship and weirdness in the book is a bit of a red herring, not meant to distract attention as much as a convenient cover for the primary purpose taking place simultaneously. In my humble opinion, the meat of the entire story is no more than about a chapter long. I have shared this idea on the conspiracy message boards, but haven't harped on it because I think I have access that not everyone else does, and therefore I have information that not everyone else does. Not because I'm special to the circumstance, I just get obsessed and paid attention. In any case, I think that the primary reason for all of this happening was the communication between 2109 and Gary Rowe. I think that's what was meant to happen. That's what was most important. That's not to discount the rest or say that finding slash Lucas's Thomas or that's not to discount the rest or say that finding Lucas slash Thomas's book is not important. I think it is all secondary, though, to the introduction and meeting of Gary and 2109. Somebody else writes, I have access to much less information than you do, and I have considered the same. How convenient that the whole story happens to unfold near where Gary Rowe lives. Gary is like the only third-person third party to be asked, brought into the ordeal. None of the messages to Ken and Deb needed to be secret in any way, but the messages to Gary were so vitally important that no one else but Gary is allowed to see them. The only message that could be shared was encoded, possibly using numerology. Gary won't talk about it and tells people that they should avoid bringing 2109 into their own lives. Just a few of the points I thought that are worthy of note. Somebody else writes, I actually lived in the house with Ken Webster a few years prior to the occurrences he wrote about in the book. I have to say that I never experienced any of the phenomena that Ken did, and I would have to say that the cottage never had any bad or odd vibes. In fact, it was one of the most peaceful places you could ever imagine. 
Ken was very much into his music when we shared the cottage, and he had been there for a while with a variety of other mates and muses, one of whom was a very established and well-known keyboard player. Ken had been a teacher at my high school, but being only a few years older than me, I was 19 at the time, was more of a friend than a teacher. I was also a struggling wannabe musician as well, and myself and a few other friends used to help Ken with his with his hobbies, and got to see and work with some great and now legendary Liverpool bands as he worked mainly through the post-punk Liverpool clubs. Ken is a very serious type of person. He had a great sense of humor, but he was a fairly solitary and sensitive kind of guy, certainly not the type of person to leave himself open to public ridicule, especially not by writing a book that would make him out to be a bit of a loon. I was also taught English at high school by Peter Trinder as I attended his school in North Wales. Mr. Trinder, as we knew him, was the old-school Oxbridge type, bow ties, etc. Again, not the type of for public ridicule. The book was a fascinating read for me, as you can imagine, and was a topic of a much-heated debate between friends of mine and Ken's over the years, over the authenticity of the story. Some believed it, and some thought it was an excellent hoax, but we all agreed it was a fantastic and captivating book nonetheless. Would have made a great film, too. I may have to give Ken a call. He says, I have to drift... I have to say I drift in and out of skepticism about the whole idea, but I say it's well worth the read if you can find it. And then I just want to end with this random Reddit quote. Somebody said, I think we are too jaded to believe it at this point, which is even funnier because what if someone actually was doing it and we immediately assumed it was a scam or a hoax? So, yeah, there, that's you, true. so there you go. I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm on the fence with this one. I mean, it's crazy. It, it's it's t- totally screams hoax, but there's enough little things that nag me that part of me kind of buys this. Yeah, and what did anybody really gain from it? Yeah, I mean the book, but it was never like a huge bestseller. I've never even heard of this. Yeah, <laughs> so. it was never like – and and like I said, once you think that – it was 1985. I was 15 years old. That was how many years ago? Wouldn't somebody have been like, no, we just kind of made that up? But nobody did. Deb is still there talking about it. Gary Rowe is still there. Gary Rowe is convinced that what happened was genuine. You know, he's like the one investigator that was there that we still communicate with that is convinced it was genuine. Hmm. So I don't know. I went into this ready to kind of make fun of it and ridicule it. And now I'm kind of on the fence between maybe this is legit. I don't know how. Was it a time thing? Was it a telekinetic thing? Was it a poltergeist thing? I don't know. But the fact that like people that know Ken and and know Gary Rowe and stuff say that or and Peter say that they're not the kinds that are really going to fake this because why would they open themselves up to this ridicule? You know, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I just don't know. You, I you're... still lean hoax, but I'm open to the idea that it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. And either way, it's an entertaining story. It's a super entertaining story. And like I said, it's like it's like Doctor Who fan fiction that right. You know, you have this group 2109 that are doing experiments with the timeline or something. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that that Nick, whatever his name was, like the third SPR guy uh, that came to investigate mm-hmm. the Peter. There, there's one. There's a John. There's John, Dave, and Nick. John is legit. But people that have researched this said that there is no sign of those other two men ever being in SPR. Like, they have mm. no idea who those people were. Okay. You know, and especially with 2109 saying that that Nick guy was super suspect. There's no trace of him. They know nothing about him. You know, so I don't know. 
I don't know, but there is the story of the Dodelston messages. Really curious, really yeah. curious to see what you guys think of this one. Like yeah. I said, I went into the I went into this just planning to ridicule it, and the more that I looked in, the more that I I read that book, the more that I got into it. I'm like, you know, there's like Maybe something to it. Like with the John Teeter stuff, there's just not a lot of there's there's this posts on the message board, but that's it. So I can see mm-hmm. uh, to me this has more validity than the John Teeter story, just because of Gary Rowe and because of Deb still being around and and people like you know they would have said this was fake by by now I think because it's just it's been so many years. Right. It's just I don't know I I part of me buys this and I know I shouldn't because it's like a crazy story, but there's a part of me that that buys this. You know, so I don't know. One of the one of the cool paranormal blogs that I read is actually, uh, it's actually called what is it? It's actually called Calling Twenty One O Nine, which I think which which I think is cool. Nice reference. Yep. So there you go. There is the Doddleston messages. What do you guys think? Hoax. I I have a feeling that I'm going to get slammed for halfway believing this. But I just I don't know, like the Facebook group is super interesting because some people really buy it. You know, like I had a I had a like the guy that runs the group actually friended me on Facebook and messaged me and said, you know, I, they said, what can you gift? What can, what value are you? Of? And I said, I like doing research. I can help with research. And I think a lot of people on there are cautiously. Skeptical believers. Mm-hmm. Like like people are looking for stuff. Everybody wants to know where this book is, because if this book was found, you know what that would mean to this. Right. Like if all yeah. of a sudden this book turns up that from somebody from the 1500s talking about this guy's Jaguar car and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So a lot of people are like talking about where the some people think that the church where this Thomas Harden actually was a a priest or whatever that it's hidden there you know, behind the bricks and stuff. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm super fascinated by this one. Not Bet Sphere level fascinated, but it's up there. This is, this is one of those like the Bet Sphere or Captain Coochie's Key Lime Pies that I'm really invested in or the disappearance of Trini Gibson. Like this is one that I think I'm going to stay with because I really am fascinated by this. Well, and it's interesting is that people involved are still out there, yeah, kind of talking about, yeah, it, and that's what that's get with the no, other that no, and that's what makes me buy this more than I buy the John Teeter time travel story. So again, let me know what you guys think. Do you guys think it's fake? Do you guys think it's real? I don't know. I'm just I I'm fascinated by it, and I guess I want it to be real. <laughs> so there you go. Sweet. Song choices or listener questions first? Uh, let's do listener questions. Listener questions. We have two, actually. The second one's a repeat. The first one is actually from Sophie. She texted me it, uh, two days ago. She wants us to answer, did you ever do something naughty as a kid that you never admitted to your parents slash caretakers? Oh, man. Did you ever oh. do something really naughty as a kid that you never yeah. admitted? I honestly can't think of anything. No, I was a pretty good kid, actually. So was I. I don't think that I did anything, you know, I don't think that I ever did anything that I did not admit. Right, yeah, that I didn't admit, no. No, I can't think of anything. No, I've been trying to think for the last Sorry, two days. boring. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything bad that I did. I mean, I did dumb stuff, you know, like like we used to sled off our roof in winter into snowbanks, but that wasn't I don't know if that was so much naughty as just dumb. You know, but if I ever did, did I ever do something where I thought I would need to hide it? Hide it? No. No, me neither. I never, no, not really. I mean, my house I lived in when I was a kid, my dad had a half open beer in the fridge that I went and had a couple drinks out of when I was like <laughs> 10 or 11 or whatever, but I don't think that's super naughty. No, and it's it sounds like it needs to be something they they suspected you of doing, but you never admitted to doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything like that. I don't either. Hmm. Yeah, I don't either. I guess you and I were just too goody-goody to ever do anything like that. normal Midwest kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm – if I can think of something, I'll let you know. The number two uh, question we got, we've answered in the past, and I don't understand why this is such a thing. But somebody asked us, hey, guys, just curious, why do you never swear on your show? That's a question. Because we want it to be family. Yeah, especially because I have students listen to it. Mm-hmm. You know, but you and I talked about that at, when we started doing this. You and I said it was kind of cool because it was never discussed, but we just never, we just knew, we just, it was it, like in both of our psyches that when we started doing this, we just never swore. We didn't want to. Right. You yeah. know, and it's just neat that you and I never talked about that. And there was like five or six episodes in you and I talked about that. We're like, yeah, we never really swear. Cause I listen to some podcasts where it's like F bomb every other word. And I'm yeah. like, why do you feel the need to do that? Totally. It's actually hard for me to listen to. Yeah. I was listening to one when I was researching this and it's just like, Oh, it's like, but then there's a difference where the sofa King podcast is really off color, not safe for work stuff, but it's in a different way. You know, like, I don't know. Ones where people swear just for the sake of swearing to me is stupid. Yeah. Yeah, and anybody, if you have listened to our bloopers, our little 12, 15 minute blooper thing, you hear us swear on there. So it's not like we don't swear. Oh, yeah. You know? I totally do. When I'm at home. I sometimes, for sure. for, I sometimes forget we have the blooper thing because we moved it out of the general yeah, Facebook post because we didn't want kids listening to it or, but but if there's workers yeah but if there's or, listeners yeah. that i get to be friends with and i'm like do you ever hear this and i i send it to them and they're like oh my god this is hilarious you know because it's like 15 minutes of our banter and bloopers but it's like you and i swear but it's just we never felt the need to do it on the podcast nor do we want to do it to feel adult i guess i don't know it was no. just never a thing or, like i swear in real life all the time cool or yeah whatever. or seem edgy you know totally. like i swear in real well, life to be it depends on where I'm at, like around certain people at work in yeah. certain environments, I will swear. But for the most part, I don't. Yeah, I don't really swear when I'm out in public. It's weird. I don't know. I just to me, it's just so unnecessary. But when I'm at home, heck, yeah, my swearing has dropped on a lot ever since I got this job at the middle school because no, I just oh, don't sure. swear. You know, it was yeah. different when I was at the factory and every other word was an F-bomb, you know, but it's just you and I, we never it was never a conscious decision on our part. When we started the no. podcast, we just that's just the way we are. And then so, when we heard a lot of people were listening with their kids. We were like, yeah, oh, I'm so that's glad. what we were like. Definitely. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, but then some of my students say, I heard you say the a word or I heard you say the, the D word. And it's like, that's different. That's not super swearing, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you and I'll, 
giggle at naughty double entendres, but mm-hmm. we will never mm-hmm. we'll never just come out and drop like an F bomb. We I think no. I think there's been the occasional S bomb back in yeah, the day sure. when we started, but yeah, otherwise we just don't feel the need to. That, that's our only answer to it. It's like it's not necessary. No, it's not necessary. So those are so. Thank you for the questions. We could use more, so please send more. It is really kind of snowing out here now. Oh, it has been coming down hard. So I'm long. glad I didn't drive down there. No, it's pretty bad. I'll okay. send you a picture when we're done recording. Okay. Okay. And song choices. I'm going with two song choices this time. The first one, I I had a totally different one here until two nights ago when I stumbled across this other song. And I literally cannot stop listening to this song. Like I love this song. It's a, it's a. I don't know if it, I don't know what the difference is between trance, EDM or whatever it is, dance music, techno. This is kind of a dancey song, but it's kind of like a pop song. Like, and I, I stumbled across this. I don't know how it showed up in one of my suggested songs on YouTube, and I just love the song. Like it's right now, it's my favorite song. Not my all-time favorite song, but it's my current favorite song. I I got it off iTunes yesterday. Been listening to it all the time when I drive around. It's a dancey song. Uh, you're probably not going to have heard of any of these people in it. Uh, somebody on YouTube comments, I love this song. It has summer vibes, festival vibes, trademark drops, and the vocals are perfect too. Somebody else writes... Can't stop listening to this one. I grew up on a lot of punk music. I got sober a few years ago, and this genre has just helped me in ways that I can't describe, but this song is awesome. Somebody else writes, this song is dope AF. That drop is one of the best I've heard in a long time. This deserves way more listens. Somebody else writes, am I the only one with a crush on the singer in her green outfit? And I can answer that. No, you're not. I have a crush on this (laughs) singer, too, now. Somebody else writes a great masterpiece. Fascinating vocals, wonderful melody, and hot sounds and rhythms. Perfect atmosphere. This is my song of the summer. And somebody else writes, why is he dancing like my dad after a few Coors Lights at the neighbor's cookout? Because it is the song, Don't Let Me Let Go, by Dylan Francis, Elenium, and Evan Gia. And Dylan Francis is the guy that's kind of like dancing all dopey. He says when he made the video, he wanted it to be like Evan Gia was his daughter. And she wanted to make like a like a dance video with him and not knowing how to dance and being all awkward. So he looks super awkward in the video. It's really cute. And I love this song. I really, really love this song. It is Don't Let Me Let Go by Dylan Francis, Elenium, and Evan Gia. I will post that in The Strangers. And my second song... Uh, this is a singer that like a lot of people don't know about. He actually sung. He was the singer for two other bands that I've actually liked that other people probably have never heard of. The bands were Collapsus and Anthonium. I think those were the two bands that he was the singer of. And this is like so little known. There was only one comment I could find for this song on YouTube. And the comment is, this song is so beautiful that it kills me. And it is the song April Moon, and it is by Mike Garrigan. Like, Aaron got the Collapses CD years ago and didn't like it, so he gave it to me. And it's like a really good, really, really good CD. It's like a good album. And I've downloaded some of his songs with Anthonium, and they're just like great songs. Like, a lot of his solo stuff is slow acoustic guitar but I love this song ever since the first time I heard it. It is a beautiful song, and it is April Moon by Mike Garrigan. 
I will post both of these in the group for you guys to check out. And I think that's it. Holy cow, we have two more podcasts to do, and I am wiped out from talking on this one. No kidding. This one was a lot of me talking, but I knew it was going to be because it's a long story. Yeah. So there you go. Sweet. Well, the next two episodes we're recording will be both of us talking, so you'll get a little bit of a break. Yeah. Our next episode, I think, is going to be cryptid-based. Ooh, nice. So hopefully we're together in person when we do that. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I think my next episode is going to be cryptid-based, and then I think the episode after that is going to be paranormal-based. Okay. So cool. I'm trying to mix it up. You guys know I love these quirky stories like this, Dolston messages, foolishness. You know, 2109. If you got if you got a question for us, write it in. Love, <laughs> yeah. would love to hear from you. Uh, oh, another thing about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going way back. It is a little suspicious that... A lot of 2109's word usage is very British, mm. mm-hmm. which kind of points towards it being a hoax, too. Sure. But I don't know. I'm still kind of buying it. I'm still buying into the Dodleston messages. I'm buying into my poor emo guy, Lucas, from the, from the 1500s, <laughs> his love for the maid. I don't know. Fascinating story. Let, let us know what you guys think. And I think that's it for this episode. As I'm watching it snow outside the window. You want to give the deets? The deets. Let me scroll down. The deets are, you can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the final S. Krista does a great job on the Strange Sessions on Instagram. You can send postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. You can call our lonely phone line at 920-443-9602. And you can send listener stories to the Strange Sessions stories at gmail.com. I haven't checked that since I made that account, so I should probably check that. It's probably <laughs> 2109. It's probably written us there, and I never even got back to them. No so there you go. And I think that is it. I feel like we're not as energetic when we're not together. Yeah, it's different. It's you know, different it's, it's a different vibe, and I don't like it. But Wisconsin in winter, what can you do? Yeah, and I'm thankful we at least have this as an option. Oh, yeah. Other yeah. Besides not recording. And everybody know. says the sound quality is pretty decent, you know? Yeah. So yeah. we can't complain. Exactly. But I would have liked to have been there to talk about this story with you because I could have, I could feel your eyes rolling through the phone lines. <laughs> so you know me well. <laughs> I, I think that is it. There's some stuff in here I have to edit, but not too bad. So this will be released early tomorrow morning because I have to drive out to the school forest and hide geocaches tomorrow. And then I have to go to my niece's birthday party at noon. Sweet. Yeah, Grayson's birthday party. So I think that is it for this episode. And we are going to slide into the side sessions now. So I think this is it. Let us know what you guys think of the Dodleston messages. 2109, write me. Uh, Lucas, Thomas, drop me a line like to hear from you too, buddy. <laughs> so from Krista and I in our separate locations, until next time, st- are we going to so, do our, should we do yeah, our thing? You're going to say stay and I'm going to I'm going to say stay. You're going to say strange. Yep. We're going to give that a try. So from Krista and I in our separate locations, until next time, stay. Strange. Perfect. Well, See, good enough. We figured it out. We got it. We'll see you guys later. Okay. Bye. Bye.